This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Wonderbly. Visit Wonderbly.com and use the promo code BCPOD at checkout for 15% off your personalized children's books. Today's show is also sponsored by Pro Flowers. Visit ProFlowers.com and use the promo code BCPOD at checkout for 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more. Today's episode is also sponsored by Tracker. Visit thetracker.com slash badchristian. That's without the E at the end. Visit thetracker.com slash badchristian for 20% off any order. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. It's funny to hear a female talk about routes. Like, it's funny. Kick it. Uh oh. <laughs> Three, two, one. Joey Spitzin, Matthew Carter, and of course, the King Toby Morrell. It's the bad Christian. Yes, it is. If you didn't catch it, that was a Cam Newton drop at the beginning of the show. So we'll, we'll get to that. He dropped it. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's up? Glad What's to up, be back. I'm glad to be back in town. Oh, Did yeah. You enjoy been, time how was with you, Buddy? Yeah, you were on a cross-country trip with your dad. Yes. If right? anybody saw any of my photos, I've been, you know, kind of off the grid. I went to Minneapolis, saw my sister, got in the car with my dad. Uh, he has an old FJ Cruiser that... I'm getting from him. So we did made a road trip out of it, drove from Minneapolis to Seattle, went through a bunch of national parks, saw the stuff in South Dakota, Mount Rushmore, Yellowstone, everything. Drove up here, and it's Jerry's birthday on uh, tomorrow, uh, Saturday. It's Jerry's birthday. We're having a party. So it's a big road trip for my dad. It's been really fun. We did a whole bunch of good stuff. You know, Would you so say you had like emotions? Did you get emotional? Was there a time? Did, like, did y'all sit around a campfire at all, or did you stay no at hotels or we what? Comfort in, but um, we uh, we went. You know, we just went back and forth talking at each other, doing soliloquies back and forth, talking a lot about. You know, he's he's similar to me, so we both make observations and then explain them to each other back and forth for two thousand miles. Is, is pretty much what two, two peas in a pod. Right? Right it's just explaining geology and making it up as we go to each other about rock formations for two thousand miles basically that is hilarious I, just just two <laughs> carters in a car and probably non-stop talking yeah and he would you know he'll he'd be the first to tell you i'm the main one doing the talking don't know when to shut up but he's a little he's a little that way he's uh he's similar in that he likes to explain things and think how stuff works that that's he's an engineer right so all that stuff is there and that's probably where i get it from but i probably take it to another level he also uh ate snacks and carbs and packed the ice chest and was just eating at every moment while we're driving he kept thinking he needed something so he'd eat 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 the whole time <laughs> and then one time i got sour skittles at a, a thing and he's son you can't eat all that sugar <laughs> <'Cause it> was, <laughs> but he's eating crackers and every other thing every five minutes on the trip and he kept what, what? the only thing he said was uh the only thing he called yellowstone the whole trip was uh how much he kept talking about how much he just loved yosemite this is awesome being here in yosemite <laughs> <laughs> I correct him did, did every time and he kept calling Yosemite the whole time. <laughs> so did y'all have you didn't did you have any uh, father son moments where like you got a little heated or disagreement or is that that it just the candy stuff? I was thinking if I rode across the country with my dad, there would have to have been at least two or three times where my dad would go, Son, you can't you said the candy one. Did y'all have anything like that or was it pretty smooth sailing? No, I tried to avoid that. And we do have some you know, I had you know, we had some good times and talked about some stuff and it was it's really good. I just you know, people don't realize traveling across the country how just 
dang important. It, I can't explain it other than important to you go from your house in South Carolina to Seattle, and then when you get there, you know where you are. Like that perspective is just something you can't. Right. You just can't get on a plane and go somewhere, and then you just feel like you're someplace. But when you drive somewhere, especially if you've never been west, like he has in a car, he's never seen any of that stuff in his whole life, and and it's just. It just Dude. means it's just real important to understand where you are in your country. I yeah. can't. I just yeah. cannot stress that enough. And seeing different, I mean, you can just see gears turning. Whether it's you or somebody that's their first time on tour or or this, where you just go, wait, it, it it just all makes more sense. You have more understanding of other people. You have more understanding of the place you're in, and it's just. It's just great. I just love it. I can I travel mean, back and forth across the country forever. The million dollar question for me, obviously, is where my mind's going. Did y'all talk like sad stuff or like reminisce about your mom or anything? Like any any choked up moments? No, but we talked about it some. It comes up, you know. We we he he deals with it pretty well and talks about it. I think mainly a good thing is like he is just in a place now where he is starting to emerge to have you know, less raw and he can want to do stuff and think about stuff. He couldn't have done yeah. this, you know, I think it, so it's pretty interesting. And so of course we talk about mama whenever it comes up, neither of us avoid it. He's pretty good at talking about it, but yeah. it's not like I'm probing him super deeply in a counseling kind of way, but it's just right. something we're getting used to discussing and talking about. That's the, is a little bit of a gear shift to figure out how to discuss it long-term at, you know, and make it not necessarily sad, but honoring and all, you know, there's all those little things you're trying to figure out how yeah. to do or not ignore or whatever. But we saw yeah. Emmy for a day. We watched a football game together and now he's here. He's babysitting today. So he is nice. having a great time. He's, he's, he really well, enjoyed it. Do you guys think that, uh, Cam Newton needs to watch out for how he discusses things. Like, what do y'all think about that? <laughs> well, catch people up. I didn't know about this story until just this morning when you so, told me I hadn't been so, paying attention. So, I mean, all, all I know is what the clip reveals in the headlines. And uh, what what is – y'all are going to make fun of me. What's Dannon? He's already lost that endorsement. Dannon's Dannon, yogurt. Yogurt. Okay. So, basically, a female reporter – Asked him a question. Cam Newton's and the quarterback. If anybody doesn't like quarterback football. of Carolina Panthers, yeah, he he was Heisman, won a national championship with Auburn, and she basically asked him a question. And in her question, she used the word routes, and he immediately gives like a Colgate smile, and she <laughs> kind of stops, and she, and he's just like, that's just kind of funny how you how a female. Look, I'll only play the whole routes. clip with a news story from yeah, CBS. This is yeah. CBS here, so let's just hear their coverage of it and catch me up and everybody else too. Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton is being criticized for his comments to a female reporter yesterday. Newton appeared to mock Jordan Rodriguez from the Charlotte Observer. It's funny to hear a female talk about routes. <laughs> it's funny. He's just grinning so hard. Rodriguez shot back at Newton in a statement. She says Newton, quote, not only belittled me, but countless other women before me and beside me who work in similar jobs. Well, the NFL also chimed in, saying the comments are just plain wrong and disrespectful to the exceptional female reporters and all journalists who cover our league. All right. So that made me laugh, but th not because of I agree with Cam, because I can't believe he's dumb enough to do, to do that. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, I would have even thought that he would have stopped himself. Like, I just can't. Nah, go ahead. No, go, go ahead with your question. I mean, but here, here's so I, I don't. Nobody in their right mind is going to, in in my opinion, going to affirm him and say, yeah, he has a right to say whatever he wants to. Well, some people but probably I think, also, oh, don't be so PC about it or something. I'm sure people. Yeah, hold that, that that's my thing. Is I, I wish we weren't in this 
season of life where now I mean he's lost a major endorsement. He's going to be ostracized, and people see him as a bad person, and that. That's where what troubles me, and and you know just just a few things to th- to throw out there. It's not an outlandish thought to say something along the lines of that 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 basically says, yeah, I'm not used to females being so intrigued with football. Why is that? Well, because you don't have a female NFL football player, so that doesn't justify it. But let's just face it: for some people, it it takes some getting used to. It's like, oh wow, you you know you know your stuff. And then another thing that I'll I'll just throw out there is I do think it's crazy how one side and Toby and I were talking about this uh, earlier today. I do think it's crazy how one sided all this is. Like if a if a woman was being interviewed about something and real quick in passing she says but you know how all guys are i mean they're always thinking with their third leg blah 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 she wouldn't be ostracized at all in fact she'd be seen as a a super funny witty sort of person now the the response to that is well yeah men are not the ones that are um you know have prejudice against and all that stuff but i don't know i i wish it i wish it didn't have to be this big of a deal well here's what i think it was a really stupid comment that actually does show what he kind of thinks. Oh, for sure. It reveals yeah. a little bit about his personality yeah. and character that he thinks, oh, man, that's cute that a, a, a lady or a girl or a female would say something like that, talking about routes. That's adorable. So I do think it diminishes her for sure. But I, I, and, and here's the other thing, too. Most of the reporters had never played football there, and regardless of if they were male or female or not, or if so, it was a long time ago, and they were you know pee wee football maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of men don't play football, didn't ever put on pads, don't know routes or right. anything like that. So it's a really dumb remark. I will agree with you. I'll give you this: uh, that it does seem as if sometimes people get a pass, but maybe I, I can understand the sentiment of well, I mean, guys, I've always uh, we've always done this, so you know, like can. Can different races or sexes get a break when we just do something here? But it I, is condescending, I mean, though. Was maybe the yes. difference between if it was one way or the other? So if a woman makes a point and a guy says, "All right, well, nice point, honey. Your hair looks good." That can, <laughs> you know, that's very condescending. <laughs> no, said, it is. Hey, well, it here, is different, here's some, and that's the same way with Cam. But you know, he, you can tell that some, he's being condescending no, in that. Like, and but it wouldn't be as loaded or nuclear if he had said if it was what if it was just a nerdy journalist with glasses on he goes man right somebody with four eyes talking about routes i can't i just think that's cute like that'd be condescending right. too but not as nuclear as this yeah but he didn't even say yeah. cute he thinks it's I funny i mean that, well, that's, but it's a, it, the that's whole, a whole you different level change that language he's being condescending yeah. like, i mean outwardly. here's here's some it, here's some interesting food for thought is my mom would 100 percent agree with cam newton <laughs> i mean she would have his back in a heartbeat she actually I mean, this is a Southern woman, and she's just like, I just don't understand those ladies on the sidelines. Like, what what are they doing there? <laughs> <laughs> Your mom. That's and, just, but that's probably come from her, you know, she's older and a different generation, so she thinks. Yeah, yeah it's a different culture. For sports I, is violent, then you stay away from it. I'm interested to celebrate the progress we're making and everything. Like, I mean, it's just a, bu- I mean, a bunch of stuff's push and pull, learning curve. Like, we're figuring it out. Like, women are doing great in sports casting and good. That's good. This is, this is going to be part of it for a little bit. But you see a lot more women in there, and it's a good thing. We'll see more. You know, there are not many in the booth, broadcast booth yet, but they're on the sidelines. We're on the way. So this is part. This shows that there actually is prejudice against them as they make their way into it. Y'all think Cam needs? Does Cam need to come out and apologize to a big thing? Like what? If you're Cam Newton right now, what do you think you should do? I think he's going to. I somebody told me that he sought out that reporter and did apologize to her. 
I don't know if that's accurate or not, but yeah, he should probably go publicly for sure. I'm sure. But I'll tell you what he should do is, I don't know that Cam has any kids, but what he should do is try to take care of his kids and get them some wonderfully. Let me tell, let me, Toby, why don't you tell him about that real quick? I will. All right. I have a super fun company to tell you about and it's wonderfully. And here's why they make personalized books for your kids. And we've already gotten four books amongst the guys here on Bad Christian. Joey got two for his boys last Christmas. I got two, one for our son's birthday and one coming up for our daughter's birthday. And the books are just so amazing. I mean, it really does kind of just sell itself. They are amazing to look at, first of all. The illustrations, the color, the book itself is so well made. I was blown away when it came to our house. I was like, holy cow, this is like, I mean, how are they selling this for this for so cheap? I mean, seriously, I, I was blown away. And it's so neat because our son Ike, it was his birthday, and uh, I, the one that we got was the Intergalactic, uh, the Incredible Intergalactic Journey Home, and he loves it. It has his name on it, and even uh, shows that the the story follows him getting all the way back to our house, and it shows like the Google Map view of our home, and it shows our address and everything. I mean, it is just so amazing. I mean, I. I I almost just couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, what a great deal. Wonderbly offers one-of-a-kind personalized products that can uh, that can be made by you in minutes. It's made by you for your child. The book literally doesn't exist until you press the button. We made the whole thing for Ike and Ruby. I mean, each book, we were able to make all the decisions for it. So that means even if there's other Ike and Rubies around, our book can be unique just to us. Uh, they make wonderful gifts for Christmas, baby showers, birthdays, or just because. With a variety of titles to choose from, you can find a book suitable for children uh, zero to nine years old. The books are wonderfully made, wonderfully written, and filled with hand-drawn illustrations, making them true keepsakes. So, go to Wonderbly, and that's www.wonderbly.com. Let me say that one more time. W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y dot com. Wonderbly dot com. And you are going to be amazed. Enter BC pod code at checkout and get 15% off your order. Remember, Wonderbly dot com. Enter the BCPOD at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. These books are amazing. I highly recommend it. What a great gift for any time of year. All right. Now, the cam thing reminds me of, uh, I mean, it's got me thinking about something I was thinking about on the drive the other day, and that is the celebrity worship part of this, like one person misspeaking, and it's a big, big deal kind of thing. So celebrity worship has been on my mind a little bit. I know we talk about it on this podcast, and I have a way that I want to relate it to all the stuff that happened in the mass shooting and all that this week, but I didn't even hear y'all's episode. How did y'all cover it with Lunsford? How did that go? Did y'all have a good time. It, fe- it felt uncomfortable, especially yeah. like just just we because our one of the topics we were talking about is uh, how dealing with tragedy and and this stuff. And the big thing for me with this and, and the shooting and stuff like that was that how quickly we moved to uh, just all oh, gun control issues. Mm-hmm. This is you know like we didn't take any time to take a breath and go, holy crap, people died. They're dead. There's a you know, fathers, mothers, children, sons, daughter, all these people are dead yep. and injured, even more injured. And it's just insane. So our big thing, what we were talking about, though, is how is it, how, is humor evil and, you know, <laughs> not sensitive and bad in these situations? 
And I think we came to a good conclusion too. I, th- I, I, I understand it more and more clearly. Um, just, you know, it, it's okay. Humor is a lot like sadness, crying, you know, it's, it's a defense mechanism in a way. And sometimes that's all you can do is, is to, to, in order to handle something is to have a little bit of humor with it. But I don't know. I might've got you off your subject. No, I'm just about- curious what you did. I didn't actually listen to it. I just regrettably wasn't there for that episode because I will solve it for everybody. What is it? I'm just gonna I'm just I'm just gonna go through and solve the issue is what I'm saying here. So uh, I have thoughts on it, and I know everybody's spouted out on social media and this this and this that and gun control. What I'm what, sorry what? I was out of cell service, but I'm here to solve the whole problem for everybody. I'm here to break it okay. all the way down. Explain. I tell you what I'm gonna do. <clears throat> I'm gonna mat explain the. Uh, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's when somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, mansplaining when you don't know what you're talking about. And then, but you right. tell somebody anyway, that's mansplaining. Yep. And I'm going to do that now. Um, <laughs> okay. So I do think this really is, this gun thing is nuts. I, and I'm going to say some things that are a little obnoxious, really, but not really, if you think about it. If it, I think I am correct about this, but I just don't think I'm going to hold a position that anybody wants to hold or think about. And I'll tell you why. I don't believe that the gun thing is a big deal or even important um, related to the way that I think about this. Now, I believe that the problem in all this really relates back to celebrity worship. I really do. I think that we're in a crazy time where celebrity worship and this national conversation and having every single person distracted by giant and national issues that they don't have much to do with but they feel passionate about and doing is crazy. And I think that celebrity worship is a big problem there there's a huge huge shift we've had now in the past i don't know 100 years or less where being famous and being infamous it doesn't matter there's no difference all that matter and maybe all of him history is that way i guess if you think about it like if you look back at history it's all just you know conquerors bad guys people that did infamous stuff that's who we really talk about but that's kind of a problem in this day and age it doesn't matter if you're famous for a sex tape or famous for being famous or famous for being a bad guy or famous for being a president you're famous and that is the point and that gets propagated and moved yeah. forward okay so i here's what i really believe about mass killings and i'm being serious about this but i know it may sound jokey in a way but i believe that uh the mass killing thing is there's nothing you can do about it and it's going to increase, okay? There's nothing you can do about it, this law, that law, this tactic, whatever, in the near term, I'm not talking about hundreds of years, but in the near term, mass shootings are going to only increase, and probably by a decent amount, and the reason that they're going to increase is not availability of this gun or this policy or hotel security. All that stuff is just noise. They're going to increase because of the publicity that they receive, it is more attractive and continually, continually going to give more and more people ideas because of how big of a deal we make of it. It's not significant in the amount of total deaths in the country, like, let's say, automobile accidents or anything like that. But we get so much coverage and press to mass killings and mass shootings that it is attractive to would-be people. That That is the leading cause of mass shootings is other people going, I think I'll do that when they're mentally deranged, sick unhealthy, evil, whatever you want to say they are, see the publicity about it and the infamy and the famousness and the celebrity worship and the seek to have profoundness is what we're all caught up in. And so it's going to increase. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter what you do policy-wise. I mean, sure, surely we should work hard on those things pragmatically to increase hotel security and mental health. And sure, right. we should have common sense gun laws as best as we can that are reasonable 
that everybody can agree on. I wish we could do better at that too. But that's not going to make the big difference in how many people are going to be killed publicly by whatever means. It's going to happen more in the future, not less. And that's why. So you could say something like we should black out media, of course, but that's unreasonable. But let me tell you why my point of view, nobody cares about it, is because, I mean, mean, I'll put it this way. That's obviously the leading cause of the increase in mass shootings is publicity and the the fact that we talk about it and are obsessed with it. That is. But so if you want to talk about knocking it down, we've got to We've got to deal with that. But here's the problem. Both sides of that issue are fully implicated. We're all guilty equally. It's not the left. It's not the right. There's nobody to fight with. And to face that problem that we have means there's no gain in it because it's all of us. So we, we, we're going to collectively punt on the issue that human nature and our attraction to these things and the way we publicize them and fantasize them and romanticize them and horrify them and be terrorized by them. That's the reason. But we're all going to collectively punt because we got nobody to fight with. And that's all we're interested in doing these days is fighting with people and feeling superior in the short term so that we feel better about ourselves. That's all we're trying to do is feel better about ourselves that that guy's wrong and this guy's right and I'm the good guy and that's the bad guy. We're all the bad guy here. It has nothing, and, and therefore we're all going to ignore that part of it and just bicker about little stupid stuff that isn't going to matter anyway. We're in trouble. But we're all in trouble together and all for the same reason, and it's everybody's fault the same. I, I will agree with you. Here's the problem. It is just so fascinating. When you hear about this, how do you how do you avoid it? You know what I mean? Like, like you're right. I think we do romanticize this. I, I think that we we all make it like uh, for example, even talking about Cam Newton, this all of a sudden, I mean, he lost money. He did all this stuff, and a lot, and and most people probably even agreed that that was the right thing to do. But this is like a huge issue right. where a man said something to a woman, and now it's like serious, and it means sexism, right. and it, but and it's all this not stuff. a so huge I, I, issue other than the but, fact that w- now I get to use that to further my agenda about women's yeah. rights or something that everybody gets yes, to put it right. into their thing, so that they get to go out and bicker about ever right. competing d- tiny disagreements between prioritized altruistic ideals. I mean, that's all we're doing is, is like, I, I value freedom. I value security. I mean, we, everybody values things that they think are good and we want right. to compete about them and make all this noise about them and stuff like that. So we use this, that's these celebrities, these pawns, these shootings, all this is getting used as pawns. So people can go out there and do this nonsense where they can fight with each other, which is apparently what we want to do. That's now, what, what I'm saying. What we, that, that, hold on. That's what I'm saying, though. That's what we want. That that's what is we what want. people that, want. And that you, is the you, problem. You, what you, you want to... Uh, people... It, it sounds horrific. And you go, no, I don't. That's not true. People want a hurricane so they can end up talking about global cha- uh, climate change. Yeah. Or something. You know, like the People want to talk about mass shootings so they can do their agenda. That's what bothers me the most, right. I agree, is that we are making everything but the, but issues even and issues dehumanizing. Aren't that, aren't or de- even that dehumanizing. Aff- right, but I'm just saying the gun issue is not the big factor in mass killings. It isn't the big factor. It's a factor. It could Maybe you could, if you do every gun law, you could affect it some, but of course it's still going to happen. If you right. eliminated every gun off the earth tomorrow, I promise you mass shootings will rise in the coming decades either way. So I'm not right, saying so, don't try to stop them. I'm saying yeah. we've got to think bigger picture, harder problems, long-term societal stuff. We've got real problems. But this little – I mean, guns is a goofy problem to me anyway because technologically is – the only thing you need to think about with guns is technology over the coming two decades. I mean, I, I understand agree. we have a gun I problem totally right now. But how about instead of worry about trying to ban or pick up guns, how about drone-activated 
uh, gun scanning security algorithms that notice patterns? How about worry about the next generations of weapons that are going to be far more dangerous and accessible than guns that bad guys are going to have too? I mean, there's right. things we can do about the future. We have problems, but you know we're nickel and diamond here because we prefer to stay distracted about stuff that just statistically isn't going to matter at least. And that might so sound cold, how, but how would you deal with the devil's advocate of some? <clears throat> ultra anti-gun blogger that says, how dare you, Matt? Like, I actually care about people's lives and we should do absolutely everything we can in our power to stop this senseless killing. And you can't lump this in with car accidents because car accidents, it's an accident. This mm-hmm. is senseless because someone took a gun and decided to shoot up a bunch of people. Right. Well, so I'm not going to engage in that question because I think it is a silly question and posed poorly and illogically, and I'm not going to defend my moral character. I'm not going to talk. If you want to talk about ideas and mass shootings, I will talk about that. And then we can disagree good-heartedly about what we both think is good and bad and right and wrong about it. But I'm not entering into a discussion with somebody whose main objective is to say, I'm right and you're a bad... I'm right about the technical side of it and you're a bad person. That's not an argument. That's not a good argument. It's not a... (laughs) No, but here's here's what I will say to that. I think I'm I'm okay. I'm okay whether you think it's a good argument or not. I 100% fully enjoy that that hypothetical person that you created. I 100%... That's uh, not me, by the way. Support them and hope that what they desire ends up happening and that they work yes. hard and try to do that the same way as I support the person that goes, no, nah, I just want to own a gun. Like that's what I'm saying. What I, what I fear is, and, and nobody's really giving me a really clear, good answer. Do people really want rights taken away? Because I, I understand you go, maybe, maybe have owning a gun shouldn't be a right. That is something that we should question. We can talk about, we can figure it out. We can actually interview people who have guns, but as everybody knows, nobody does, does any, there is no disagreement that criminals are use the guns for bad, right? Law-abiding citizens don't. So All that, those there is a, there is not an issue. There isn't an issue with law-abiding citizens. But what I'm saying is, I think both people have a right to uh, uh, pose their opinions, figure it out, try to get. Uh, legislation change do all create laws get rid of law well, all those things that's what that is where i am agreeing with you man i think most people just want the argument and to get it's all a little bit of a power grab right it's a, it's all it's a little a bit of something to, to make say, you I'm feel better, better. Yeah. you need to identify the bad guy and the bad guy must be that guy that's 10 percent different than you on the spectrum of left to right that's the bad guy i'm the good guy that's nonsense that is nonsense. And the trend we're in now where it's you're not discussing the ideas and giving the person the understanding that everybody probably is a good person wanting good things and they think different and have different levels of priority of yeah. certain altruistic good ideas that the argument is one side has a, a, thoughts and ideas about it and the other side is just yeah. wants to claim the moral high ground and say you're a bad person though so it doesn't matter about your thoughts or and we discredit you that's i'm not playing any of those games so i don't care what somebody says i'm telling well, you well, i also care what way more is, about everybody than you do uh, whoever right. would do that because i'm trying to be practical and pragmatic and think big picture long term and you're playing little silly games is what i would say to that well no matter what <laughs> there's plenty of laws against bad guys and, and, and they're still around. It's not going away. There's always going to be somebody that wants to hurt you, take from you, do something terrible. That's from the beginning of time, and that's just the way it is. And you're right. I do believe it's a power grab. You see something, and you go, "Wait a minute! If I say this and do this, then I then I show shame them or whatever." Like, like I'm I'm seeing more and more. It's really interesting because it feels like everybody's saying, "Oh, we've lived in a shame culture. We need to get rid of it." I feel like we live in the most shame culture 
I've ever experienced in my life. I feel like online is all about yeah, shaming somebody right. else, putting them down, disagreeing. It's a shortcut to proving it's, your it's idea all, to be right. It's like basically. personal Jerry Springer comments. Yeah. Everybody's got a personal, like, oh, zinger. Uh-uh, not the father. Ah, oh, bust it, or whatever. You know, like, it's just really crazy. Well, like, if you're it's a just, bigot, then I don't have to deal sad. with your argument. If you're a bigot, I don't have to deal right. with your idea. If you're a racist, if you're a bigot, if you're a GOP, right. whatever, whatever you want to make it, uh, and that's not—I'm not blaming the left here or anything like that. I—I I, I don't even have that thought. No, that's at all. what I'm I saying. I, Supp- I support the left. I'm glad and, that they're getting to do what yeah. they want to do and and protest yeah. and all that stuff. I agree. It, it's not a but, left, right? But there, thing. Just, but it is not. You don't. Uh, the way things are handled, like if you look on Facebook right now, the way uh, on both sides. Uh, it, you know, you can take my guns over my dead cold body or right. get rid of guns. It's stupid. Neither one really cares about the actual thing. I like, it doesn't matter. I think it's just all like, a distraction, is what I'm saying from reality. Because we got real, real stuff. It's just all. It's just all a distraction. It's just the way. It, that's what I'm trying to say. But I think I think it's just uncomfortable. Joey, you know, Joey, you would say Satan, right? It, Satan's taking our eyes off the real thing, the real problem, right? Yeah, he's winning. He's winning. I mean, he is just doing. It's just unreal. All right, so L- Lucifer. That's enough Matt's plane. And sorry, I thought about that when I was in the car yesterday, and I wanted to dump the thought out before it ev- evacuated my brain. But uh, we are going to talk to somebody real interesting. We're going to talk to James Stump or Jim Stump. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you just a little bit about who he is. But before I introduce him, we're going to really quickly talk about something else really important and good, and that's Pro Flowers. All right, everybody agrees with me that fall is the best time of year. There's not even any point in arguing this. Back to school, the leaves change, it's football, the temperatures get cooler. Everybody loves it. And we decorate our house in the fall for, you know, Halloween, fall, Thanksgiving, all that kind of thing. And we love pumpkin spice lattes and the scents and the candles and all that kind of stuff. And I tell you what makes all that great is getting flowers at your house that are seasonal and the right season. And that's where Pro Flowers comes into play. They're the perfect gift for anybody who has like a birthday or an anniversary or just a surprise or just to decorate your house in the fall. Um, the ones we got at our house are great because we get to talk to the kids about fall. It's ex- kind of exciting now that they're old enough to talk about the season change and what's going on. We, we get to talk actually about flowers and how they work. And, you know, that's, that's at least what we're doing at our house. So Pro Flowers has the perfect gift that's for anybody that's excited about fall. How about a long-lasting bouquet in their favorite fall colors? They got one that's uh, it's their best-selling cinnamon cider roses. Great option for, for anybody. Or you could go with one of the classics, just like 100 autumn blooms or a dozen autumn roses you can't lose no matter which bouquet you send because our listeners get 20 percent off of any of pro flowers unique bouquets of 29 dollars or more 20 percent off great deal and flowers are a great thing to have around they will make you feel better to see them they're they're great they last a long time too that's one of the things that i think are great about these uh they're the bouquets, in, in fact, the bouquets are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days or your money back, and you get to control the delivery date. doesn't have to be tomorrow. You can just say, I want them uh, two weeks from now. You are in control of it. Pro Flowers gives you more bloom for your buck, big, beautiful flowers, more stems for your money, and long-lasting fre- freshness. To get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more, go to proflowers.com. And use our code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout. That's proflowers.com, and the code is BADCHRISTIAN. All right, so we got Jim Stump. And Jim is, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, Jim, but you're the senior editor at BioLogos, and you've got a Ph.D. from Boston University 
in uh, you were former formerly a philosophy professor and you wrote the book Science and Christianity an introduction to the issues. So that's that's interesting stuff to us. We talk about this kind of stuff a whole lot on here. In fact, uh, I'm kind of an in into science a little bit as a hobby at least and I do cool. a, a little segment on the show sometimes where it's a, it's a little bit facetious but I do this mu- musical intro and t- talk about all these issues and then say I say science for Christians because when it comes to s- science Christians are stupid and so I do a little segment based on that so, is that your same approach in philosophy yeah you share that with yep, that's, your that's, how we do, that's how we do it <laughs> that's how you get people on your side right right <laughs> call them stupid <laughs> But so do I have you, to tell you guys, I have a little, before you get into the real meat of the stuff, that I have a little bit of a history with you all. Okay. That, uh, I used to go to Cornerstone Music Festival all the time and bring my kids to some of the Emory shows even. so. Oh, nice. Very cool. The last two years of the festival, too, I was actually a speaker on science and religion topics that they did out there in those tents in the heat of the day when nobody was awake yet but oh so you're the reason why it collapsed and that festival doesn't exist anymore (laughs) (laughs) they couldn't handle the evolution stuff that that's uh i mean my first question to you is how how, uh, i guess one of the books i think you've written did you co-write this book or whatever how i changed my mind on uh on evolution yeah so i was one of the co-editors of it and have my own chapter in it and so there was so there was a time where you disagreed with evolution, and now yeah, you don't? it's a little more complicated than that. So yeah, let's get into it. We didn't pick the title of the book. the The uh, publishers picked it for us because they thought it was mm-hmm. nice and edgy. And it's not it's not technically the case that every person in there had some big conversion experience that changed. For me personally, I grew up in a real conservative Christian community, and but my, my father was uh, trained as a middle school science teacher, and he ended up becoming an administrator or something later. But, but growing up, we always had a kind of orientation toward the natural world that it was good and that it was fine to investigate it, and we shouldn't be afraid of what we saw. So I was never fed the, you know, the real hard young Earth creationist line or anything like that. And myself, as an undergrad, did science education, and then even in my grad school in philosophy, did a lot of philosophy of science. And so I always sort of thought that science was okay, and the things scientists were telling us were probably correct. But there was certainly a time where I wasn't entirely sure how to reconcile that with the faith that I had inherited from my own community as well. So I uh, didn't think about it a lot or didn't talk about it a lot, um, and, but eventually became convinced that, that uh, you need not uh, throw out everything in the Bible and pitch your faith in order to accept science and mm-hmm. started talking about it a lot more openly and uh, then got involved with Biologos and here I am. Yeah, so. that's a good point of view on that, and I, I share that kind of similar. I didn't grow up in a strict evangelical house, just a you know Christian general culturally, and so I was doing science and thinking about it and loving it long before anybody told me that it should be at odds and I shouldn't have learned it or it's wrong or it's bad or it's evil or something like that. So I, I had a similar you know approach to that. So it always was really difficult for me when it would get when people would start acting or sounding irrational about things that seemed very on pretty good footing to me and as I grew I didn't really have much of a faith growing up either and so at some point I had to start thinking about those things a lot more seriously and if they conflicted or not but uh, what is your approach to making those things jive well to remember what's uh 
what's trying to do what, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, I'm pretty well convinced that the Bible shows all the marks of being uh, constructed by people in ancient, ancient uh, Near East and in the Roman, for the New Testament, in the Roman part of the world in the first century. And it doesn't seem to me that God tried to smuggle in some sort of secret scientific messages that none of them understood at the time. So mm -hmm. if I'm trying to ask questions about how you put a satellite together or how old the Earth is, I don't think that's where you go to try to find the answers to yeah. questions like that. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, if I'm a, you know, a scientist and you hear you hear some famous ones on TV that are pretty sure that science has the, all the answers to everything. If I'm going to ask what's right and wrong in a particular case, I'm not sure that I want the scientists to answer that. Mm -hmm. So there are provinces of knowledge and certainly lots of overlap or places where they bump up against each other and uh, tricky things we have to sort out. But for the most part, they're doing different jobs. Are we? So, they, so how did you? How did you end up reconciling? Like w with your faith, you probably were. I mean, you were a uh, Christian growing up. I mean, the idea of Adam and Eve and evolution. Like, how do you? How did you reconcile that? Did, did that throw you off? Did you go? Uh, maybe this is right. The Bible's right more than science. Did you ever have those thoughts? Um, so specifically on Adam and Eve, I I think I remember even as a kid going. This is quite the story. We got a snake that starts talking here all of a sudden. <laughs> right. And then, geesh, so <laughs> I, I don't know uh, how much more you dug into my backstory, but I've mm -hmm. actually had to leave an evangelical college because of mm -hmm. my position on science. Oh, really? And um, I taught there for 17 years. And uh, when I started getting involved with Biologos, that made too many of the constituents nervous and so on. Hey. But one of the things I used to do, so I used to teach this class called Critical Thinking, Logic and Critical Thinking. And we'd use different topics for thinking critically. I'd do climate change. We'd do illegal immigration. And then I said, I want to do creation and evolution. And I even got approval from the administration to do this. And had a book that laid out four different positions and... Uh, used that as a way to think critically what's the evidence for both of the, for you know for all of these positions how does how does it stack up how do we think through and so in those i never even revealed what my own position was i mean the point of it was to get students to learn how to think critically but one of the most subversive things i did in that class was to bring in Genesis 1 on one side of a piece of paper and Genesis 2 on the other side of a piece of paper put the kids into small groups and say sort this out <laughs> tell me how tell me how it really went because you're getting two different stories and yeah. i know that there's a you know the typical young earth way of doing this is to say that genesis 2 where you get to adam and eve is really just an expansion of day 6 of genesis 1 but the things aren't done in the same order i mean you can, and you have to you have to think that the people putting the bible together knew this and put them together like that anyway to say we have these two different accounts that are doing two different things, but we think it's worthwhile right. to hear both of these. And it immediately just starts pushing you away from treating this as some sort of propositional knowledge that fell down from heaven and landed mm -hmm. in front of us that we're supposed to treat it like that. And instead, that it's this witness of these ancient people that I think God did something among. You know, I think God revealed himself among these people. And here we have in Scripture, they're bearing witness to it from the perspective of their own 
time and place. So let me and, see if I get that what you're saying there, right? Because I actually think that's really unique. I hadn't thought of it that way before. You're saying the simple inclusion of the biblical authors of the two accounts. These people were smart enough to at least write it down and put it there in this one book. I mean, that book in itself, those people weren't so dumb that they didn't obviously know that there right. were contradictions <laughs> there. So you can't, you can, they weren't right. just cavemen that were transcribing something. They analytically could have looked at it too and known that even with their logic and rhetoric and skills at the time that it didn't make logical sense but they since they included it anyway that's already starting you down the road of knowing we should be looking at this differently than that yeah so even their original authors wouldn't have taken it purely propositionally you would say yeah so don't let me pretend to be a bible scholar here but um you know, I've read enough about this stuff to know that the critical issues of understanding Genesis is the evidence points to pretty clearly that these two accounts that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 probably were produced at different times and different mm-hmm. places by different people. And yet they're part of the community. And the community thought it was important to include both of these, mm-hmm. even knowing that I can't take the you know, the words from one of them and mash it into the words from the other one. I mean, Genesis 2 starts with, in the day that God created the created everything, he made Adam, and then he put him in a garden. And it, you get to the place where it says, and God didn't want him to be alone, so he did what? I'd always ask that question to the students before they had actually read it, and they go, oh, they created Eve. No, he created the animals then. That's what Genesis mm-hmm. 2 says. And then after all the animals, he was like, boy, I still don't see anybody. How about Eve? Let's try it. Let's... So just as, a, as storytelling, it's this really rich, evocative thing. But as an attempt to say, we're just going to read the plain meaning of these texts and think that's you know a newspaper account, that falls apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Does that so give you a disdain for the, you know, the arc encounter and the intelligent design people, uh, Ken, Ken Ham, that, those people? Does that give you a disdain for that mentality? Do you find that a reasonable, respectable, or even harmful from your view? I have seen it harm people. I've been to the Creation Museum. I've been to the Ark Encounter. I've written my up uh, my experiences of it. Um, I am not in the business of telling people they shouldn't believe certain things. What I'm in the business of and what Biologos is in the business of is trying to show that this position that we call evolutionary creation is a legitimate position that Christians can take. Thanks, guys. Yeah, let me tell you about Tracker. Where would anyone be without their keys, wallet, or phone? I'll tell you where they'll be. They'll be late because you can't leave till you find those bastards. So let me tell you this. Eight years ago, Tracker changed everything when they released their first tracking device. And now they've done it again with the all new Tracker Pixel. With Tracker Pixel, you'll never worry about losing your things again. It's the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. I love it. Yeah. Already got a couple of myself. Place Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose. So keys, wallets, even your daggum cat. How cool is that? It's small enough to fit anywhere. When you misplace an item that has a Tracker Pixel attached, you can use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. It even has a powerful 
uh, LED lights so that you can find anything even in the dark. So lose your phone, check this out. You can press the button on your tracker pixel and your phone rings. So it's like got that little two-way thing going on and the phone rings even if it's on silent. So you can locate your item if it's miles away because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locate network in the world. So you have a tracker, you're kind of uh, a big old tracker team all over the place. It's like ways for finding your things. And Tracker's 30-day money-back guarantee means you truly have nothing to lose. So go to thetracker.com. That's the T-R-A-C-K-R.com slash badchristian to get 20% off any order. That's thetracker.com slash badchristian for 20% off. Thetracker.com slash badchristian. Don't wait, man. You don't want to lose things, so go do it. Okay, if we want to argue things and see where the best evidence is, that's fine. But our, our position and our mission is to show that that's not the only way there is to think about things. So just like lots of other theological issues where we recognize a range of views, Mm-hmm. We think this should be one of those that there's a range of views and people shouldn't be kicked out of their colleges and their churches for uh, accepting the science of evolution. Is that basically God putting evolution into motion? Um, I'd want to say it a little differently. I'd say it that when we say evolutionary creation, we'd say we believe that God's the creator. We think God created things. We think God intentionally created human beings even. But then we also want to say that Evolution is the best scientific description we have of that process. So there again, I'm holding those a little bit separately instead of trying to mash them together. So some people would say, well, the way that God created must have been that he caused specific mutations in the DNA along the specific process. Well, maybe, but um, I'm happy to say I have a scientific account of how Homo sapiens came to be, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And I also have a theological account of how human beings came to be created in the image of God. But it doesn't tell the whole story either. And these are two different discourses, two different ways of talking about things. And it's really hard to take them and mash them together and only get one one story. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to tell both of those stories and to mm-hmm. hold them in tension when we have to and to let them dialogue with each other and all that. So how does your mind conceptualize what we call the fall? Like, obviously, you know, all of you Christians out there, you know, that's when Eve was, you know, duped by the snake. I think non Christians are familiar an actual with fall? the story, too. What's that? I think non Christians are pretty familiar yeah, with you're the right. story, too. That's <laughs> a good story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm committed to the claim that all human beings sin, right? Yeah. I, uh, and I don't think that, uh, I mean, so there are, let me see, how, I don't know, how far down this road do, we, do you want to go? This is, a, this is a big can of worms, and I like talking about it. That's fine. Um, it's tricky to, to say everything was just fine, hunky-dory, and then all of a sudden Eve eats a piece of fruit, and it all goes to pot, right? Um, that story itself has... Uh, theological problems for me to say, why did God make it that way? Why did God make it that everything was going to be gr- everything was great until one of these innocents? I mean, read Genesis three. We don't 
have any uh, even mention of sin there. It's that here you have these two innocents that are uh, put in a garden and told to tend it and don't touch that one thing. But if you do touch that one thing, everything is going to go awful. Well, if uh, by analogy we say some dad makes a playground for his kids and says, here, it's so great, but he secretly booby-trapped it so that if they went to that one merry-go-round in the middle of the park and spun it around even one time, everything was going to explode. So if the kids go do that, do we say, oh, those darn kids, why did they mess everything up? Yeah. Or do you say, hold on a second here. Why was it made that way in the first place? Yeah. So there's some real challenges to me for the classic notion of the fall that has everything is perfect. Then we've got one sin and now everything is rotten and needs fixing. Okay. Now there's some real theological uh, work to be done though by understanding that we're broken people and that we need healing. We need salvation in the good theological terms of that. And a theological reconstruction and telling of that. Uh Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Take that. If you got to do whatever you got to do. No, I don't. I'm declining. It's only my boss calling at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what about the notion on the, just the fall itself that it, it, if it, it could be a symbolic story for which, the human level of consciousness, by the time you're finally able to be aware and feel shame and understand you are naked and be able to make decisions and be aware right. of your sin, that is a representative of that point in evolutionary development. Would that make sense to you? Yeah. Let me type one sentence here quick. That's a way that I look at it, but I'm also comfortable, uh, maybe as you are, which I like to discuss too, keeping the world's even separate because additionally it creates a problem even if you want to be super scientific about it once she ate the apple now you have a lot a lot of physics to explain about what fundamentally changed right. and all atoms right. across and all biological structures did snakes stop talking where did their vocal cord go and where what what yeah. happened right. what happened at yeah. that moment all the anim- all the plant eating animals grew fangs and all you know there's that whole story and so again i'm perfectly happy to talk about the fall as a theological uh, a theological reconstruction of our state and what has happened to us and what needs to happen but as soon as i try to to translate that into scientific terms uh we run into some problems and so even you know the the evolutionary history of our species there's a there's a time almost certainly when there are things going on like murder and rape and stealing things that we wouldn't necessarily call them those kinds of things in moral terms. We don't today when chimpanzees or bonobos do those kinds of things. We don't say that they're somehow morally culpable for those actions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But when, but when we would do something like that, so when my neighbor's dog bit my kid, I don't hold the dog responsible like I would if my neighbor bit my kid, right? Right. Right. There could be the same action with very different moral understandings there. And I'm perfectly happy to talk about the development of human beings in a gradual sense in that way, where we gradually come to be aware of these moral uh, implications, gradually become aware of there's a God in this world who has certain claims on me or has certain expectations. Some others would want to say, no, there needs to be a really stark point at which maybe you have this evolutionary development of 
of this species. And at one of at one day, God breathed his breath into them. And from then on, they're in him in his image. Well, I, I, I guess I can't argue against that um, theologically, but I don't think it's necessary theologically either. We do this with our with every kid growing up. I mean, there's this gradual coming to awareness and we don't hold the two-year-old responsible for the same kinds of things we hold the eight-year-old mm-hmm. and don't right. hold the eight-year-old responsible for the same kinds of things we hold the 16 or the 21-year-old. So why can't we do that as a species too, where there's a species that is developed, that God is wooing into existence and holds them responsible for some things at certain points in their development and other things at other times. So, like, the cavemen would not be responsible for getting pissed at one for stealing the food and takes a stone and clocks him on the head and kills him. Like, <laughs> I mean, those are, those are certainly uh, behaviors that we want to see moral development in. Yeah. Right? We want it, to... And it's interesting, too. I think what y'all are saying, and this is what I've kind of have learned. I always felt this inside. Now I feel like I can articulate a little bit more clearly. When we start saying or implying that the Bible is 100% factual, literal, historical, and even scientific, then we've kind of painted ourselves in a corner when you're right. Like there's, there's two separate stories in Genesis, right in the very first book. There's and, two, there are, and, there and so then there's not a way out. Kind of examples. Right. There and then it, then it makes those. the normal Christian, there's no way out, meaning that they're scared to death when you talk about evolution could be true because then they cannot reconcile it in their, in their mind with their, with the Holy scripture. And so then they're what all they can do is what, like, like you, they shut you down. They say, well, you can't teach here anymore or whatever. Do you see that as like a, a, a big issue for like, do you think stuff like science evolution, even just, just evolution wise, do you see that hurting Christianity? Like it's, it, it that it would be seen, that Christianity will look more and more dumb, I guess, in the future? It appears to me that Christianity in our culture is moving in two pretty different directions in terms of the the progressives versus the fundamentalists. And I know there's a continuum and people in between, but, but you find one branch of Christianity that's like doubling down and saying, we have the Bible, <laughs> the rest of the world be damned. We're not going to, you know, we don't care what they have to say because we know the truth of this. Yeah. And there's another, I think there's another... And obviously, the way I'm describing them, you can tell which one I, uh, which I, which one I belong to. But I think there's another uh, critical mass of Christians that are saying, "Look, we've got to engage the rest of what we know about the world with what we've been with the tradition that we've inherited." I don't want to throw out the tradition. I think the tradition is a starting point for conversation. Um, but we've got to understand how does this work in our day and age with everything else that we've learned. I mean, I think science is this fantastic tool that has helped us learn an awful lot about the world that we live in. And I don't think we should have to hide that or pretend that it's not mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Now, why, why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because it seems like the evidence points to, or, or let's, let's, let's say, uh, and Jim, Joey is a pastor. So he thinks that because you believe in evolution, there's no way you can be a Christian. <laughs> right. I'm used to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, are like, and let's, let's back up from Christianity. Let's say theist. Like, are you a theist because you think science points to that? Or would you say you're a theist because you've had an experience in the spiritual realm that you can't deny? 
Yeah, so I'd actually prefer not to uh, start with generic theism. Yeah. I think generic theism falls apart pretty quickly. Interesting. And would much rather start with the full-orbed, Christocentric Christianity. By saying that, I don't think, and here I'll get myself in trouble with some of my friends, but I don't think that's the only religious system that can make sense out of the world. It happens to be the one that I grew up in. So you ask, why am I a Christian? I grew up in the church. It gave me the categories of thinking about the world that does make sense to me. And I think it makes more sense to me than other options. But I'm not uh, quite so so uh, hubrist, hubristic to, to think that I'm the only one that um, has all the right answers mm-hmm. to these things. And that there are other ways that are reasonable. So I think truth, truth is a matter of absolutes, right? But reasonableness is pretty relative to our own time and place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm a Christian because I think it's reasonable and I can trot out those arguments. You know, I'm a philosopher. That's what we do. But that's not ultimately why I became a Christian. I became a Christian because I grew up in the church and it makes sense of things for me. And even as an adult, yeah, I've had some things that I'd call religious experiences that I don't think I can explain away as just delusions, but I have friends who think they are just delusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think they're stupid for thinking that. Going to graduate school in philosophy, one of the biggest challenges to my faith was to run into really, really smart people who didn't believe the same way that I did. Because mm-hmm. I grew up thinking anybody who doesn't believe this stuff must be stupid because it seemed so obvious to me. Yeah. So... We live in a pretty pluralistic world now where there are lots of smart people that believe lots of different mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so having a, having a dose of humility to say this way that, that I've framed things in my mind, the way that things make sense to me, might not be the only way of making sense of What things. sense do you make out of miracles? Or are there such things? Yeah, so miracles are really interesting when we're talking about science here, too. Um, There's a question, so it's related to the question of what's a law, scientifically speaking, Mm -hmm. and are miracles things that break those laws? And there are two points of view on this. One is that laws are prescriptive things that have been put into place that the natural order must follow. The other is that laws are descriptive rather Mm -hmm. than prescriptive. And they're just summaries of the ways that we've observed things to follow. Now, on the second one, on the second one where laws are descriptive, miracles are no problem at all because you just say, well, these are the ways that things have gone generally that we've observed, but that doesn't mean they have to always go the same, and we might observe something Mm -hmm. different next. So So can I give an analogy there to see if that makes sense to to me and everybody else? So, So it's like music theory, for instance, is one I would use. We have all the rules of music. But that's observed by music that existed, and that they seem to follow this. This sounds good to us. This doesn't sound good to us. 99 out of 100 times when you see this, you're going to see this. Same with written language. It's descriptive of what we were speaking before we wrote it down. And so this is how you speak English. These are the rules of English, or unless you break them. Yeah, so right. that changes. The rules of English change over right. time, too. Yeah. Do the laws of nature change over time? No, I'm not going to say that. But what I will say are that maybe you take something like the resurrection – and say, is that breaking a law of nature, or is that ultimately the way things are going to go? 
I hope so. Mm-hmm. I hope that's the way things are going to go at, at one point in, in history. And it's just that it's only happened to one guy so far. Mm-hmm. So you but, work with... So, uh, what, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So other kinds of miracles, too, then, that are that are described in Scripture or that people claim in their own experience. But we don't have any scientific evidence of there ever being a miracle in any way. Would you agree with that? I don't think you could have scientific evidence of there being a miracle. That's not the kind of thing science does. Science finds regularities. Mm-hmm. So how would science, science deal says, with something? Here's the way stuff goes. So, so from a, from somebody that had a different point of view, view than you, how would how would we approach it if we saw something tomorrow that seemed miraculous? Right? Is everybody just going to? Are you suggesting that everybody's just going to see what they want to see either way? Like if we saw somebody yesterday, let's say Elvis came back tomorrow and started walking around. And said, "Yep, I was dead. I climbed up out of the grave. Here I am. He's walking around. What would Christian would say he's resurrected spiritually? And science would get to work on explaining it. What what would happen? Science would try to explain it, but again, science doesn't do real well at these one-off kind of events. Science does really well at describing here general generalities. Here are the way things normally go. So take a miracle. I don't know what to to say about Elvis coming back, but take a miracle like." Like let's say two turning water say into wine. <laughs> Tupac yeah, right, coming right. back. That's more plausible. <laughs> <laughs> let's say water that's turned into wine. What would science say? Well, undoubtedly science would try to examine and see whether there's some history to these molecules that could be traced back. But I would think ultimately science would say, we have no explanation for this. So either we shouldn't trust our senses mm-hmm. or we should say maybe there's some things that happen that science can't explain. Mm-hmm. And if I'm hardcore scien- scientism where I think science is the only game in town, I'm going to say it's much more reasonable for me to think that all these eyewitnesses are mistaken yeah. than that something miraculous. You, really they would go so far if you were a scientism person, you know, and if you were that way, fully materialist, then you would say there must be an explanation, and you would take it so far as to deny your sensory inputs are even correct, right? Right. We would go right. that. We would go and to any length possible to not allow it to be a miracle, we, so we, we say, find what we want to find. We say right up front that there's no possibility that anything beyond the natural could have right. happened. Right. So if I'm absolutely committed to that, then I have to say, okay, something screwy happened. We don't understand it yet, but we will one day, you know, yada, yada, yada. Okay. The question is, if I am not committed up front to saying there's no possibility of the supernatural, I still might be wrong if I claim that there was a miracle, but I, I have said right up front, let's let that evidence go where it, where it will. And so things like the resurrection of Christ, it, it doesn't seem to me that there's a hard and hard and fast case to be made either way based on naturalistic sorts of evidence. You know, the scientist says, well, look, we've examined everybody that has ever lived and they died and they never Mm -hmm. came back. So isn't that evidence that human beings don't come back to life? And I say, yes, but that doesn't mean that there's not something different sometimes. Yeah, we could be looking at a narrow slice of of reality and physics and time and those kinds of things. It's it's also really, to me, I'm, I'm a... I don't know if I have a title, but a term, but I'm utilitarian or pragmatic to some high degree. And I would just say, if you want, people over-ascribe agendas to, at least to science, and probably both ways, people over-ascribe the agenda, I find. Like, if you want to do cancer research, you must 
understand and utilize evolution. You must. If you if you don't care, give a shit about religion or church or even if you don't care about evolution one bit, it is the only tool that we have to study mutations, replications, DNA, make predictions, and study cancer. I mean, there's other ways to treat cancer, but one of the ways that we deal with and make progress in cancer research is evolutionary evolutionary biology. And if your only agenda was cure cancer, you, that's your good tool. You don't even have to believe it to use it, and it's just simply highly effective. So when you're putting on cancer research hat, we're going to do evolution because it's going to help us. You're not going to read Hebrews. <laughs> right. So in that specific example, there would be some people. So 99%, the last poll I saw, 99% of practicing biologists accept evolution. Mm-hmm. There's still 1%. There's still 1% that, you know, are, that high. would say... That would say, I don't have to accept all of evolution to go do my cancer research. Mm-hmm. But they'll still be using Seeing evolutionary biology to do the cancer research. Some of the principles. Mm-hmm. They'd be using some of the principles of genetic mutation and so on. But they'd say, yeah, but come on. That's one cancerous cell turning into another cancerous cell. Here's one, spe- one kind of bird turning into another bird. That's mm-hmm. still way different than all of life coming from a little pile of goo in a pond somewhere four billion years ago. So you don't have to accept that whole story in order to do right. cancer research. But, but yeah, the, the point is that, that evolutionary biology is deeply, deeply entwined with understanding that evolutionary process. It's just highly oh, effective I, tool is the way I look at it. Yeah, totally. Can I ask a question? Because I'm always why, – why is there still such a debate? Has science not – I mean – there are, are there just still gaps where you haven't actually seen an animal change into another animal? You know, like with evolutionary terms, like why why are Christians still able to argue that it's not true, like a Ken Ham or whatever like that? Why is that? Because it happens over such a long, on such a long time scale that the kinds of things we can observe are what they want to, you know, dismissively refer to as microevolution where you see yeah we've got gobs of evidence that all of the tortoises on the galapagos islands where darwin was all came from the same stock but they say but they're still all tortoises there might be subspecies of different tortoises but they're all tortoises give us an example where one kind of thing turned into another so then you have to uh use the sorts of evidence the primary ones are fossil evidence and dna evidence and what's called biogeography where you see the different places that the different kinds of animals are and over a really really long time so millions and millions and millions of years it takes for one thing to turn into a different kind of thing so We've got a lot of fossils, and geez, back in the 80s, I had a professor back in the 80s that was a big young earth creationist and uh, you know, fed, fed us the standard lines of all the gaps in the fossil record. Well, those gaps have been impressively filled in by a lot of things, but not everything. It's not like everything that ever lived turns into a fossil, so you, there are still some leaps and jumps. Just last week, I was in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian Museum for Natural History. They have the Hall of Human Origins, and there's this incredible display of skulls, fossilized skulls there now. that there are So talking about from our last con- common ancestor with chimpanzees, which is about six million years ago, there was some population that split off and chimpanzees became 
one thing and we became one thing after six million years. From that time period, there's now fossil individuals of 6,000 individuals from that six million years ago until now. So, 6,000 yeah, iterations between, you're saying, that we 6, found. 6,000 fossils of 6,000 different individuals that are neither chimpanzee, whatever those that ancestor group was, nor fully human. Wow. We say there's something, in, there, there's something in between. And what's fascinating is that the anti-evolution groups argue amongst themselves of what do we do with these? Should we call them ape or should we call them human? And they can't decide because it's ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. They, they look like they're yeah. half in between. Toby, between. Toby, how about a reverse of your question, which was, what would it take a Ken Ham or Ken Ham follower to believe in evolution? What evidence would they accept? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because so working like I do with Biologos, where we're talking with such folks all the time, it's not a matter of taking a bunch of scientific evidence and plopping it down on the table in front of them. There's literally no evidence that they would accept is what you're saying. The difficulty is that they are so committed to a particular worldview and ideology, uh, a way of interpreting the Bible. They're so committed to this that they cannot see the evidence for what it is. So it's not just a matter of there's this purely objective evidence laying around. Evidence has to be interpreted the same way the Bible has to be interpreted. And they are locked into a particular view. So the people we see that change their view from something like young earth creationism almost always starts with the Bible instead of starting with science mm-hmm. to show how I see. the Bible is really capable of broader interpretation than what you've been oh, led to believe. Interesting. So you're saying there's a theological that, like, or biblical way. Them up. Is is actually the close the easier way to get somebody to believe in evolution is to use the Bible and understanding it more deeply. Wow, that's That's a starting point because the people like that that are so committed to the Bible are not going to entertain anything that they think pulls the rug out from under the authority of the Bible. But if you can show them that you don't have to give up on the Bible. There are other ways, there are legitimate ways of interpreting Scripture that have been part of our tradition for a long time that are not causing those same kind of conflicts. That then causes them to say, oh, okay, well, maybe I can look at some of this scientific evidence then. Yes. But otherwise, all the scientific evidence just gets packaged into these screwball theories of, you know, alternative science of some sort. And is that the work of BioLogos? Is that kind of like y'all's mission to just make like what what is the mission of biologos to make christians believe science is true the mission of biologos <laughs> is like Bio- everybody you deal with thinks you are evil yeah. <laughs> right? so we, get, we get it from both sides yeah, we, yeah. oh really we get it from, oh i bet so even on the day, science side there was one day last spring where i got called out specifically by name by ken ham's podcast that he ever he does this facebook live <laughs> broadcast thing and on the same day from the this, arc <laughs> yeah there's this uh evolutionary biologist called jerry coin that's sort of the american version of richard dawkins that's you know real virulent anti-religion that he called me out so on the same day i was getting it from the atheists and the young earth creationists but biologos what we do is we invite so we say this in our mission statement we invite the church and the world to see the harmony between science and biblical faith as we present an evolutionary understanding of God's creation. So our primary audience is uh, evangelicals who don't accept the science. And again, it's not our primary mission to say you guys ought to accept that as much as it is to say 
this is a legitimate position. Permission. You ought not, yeah, you ought to give permission to the people in your church to say it's okay to consider science like this. But then there's also, you know, uh, we, we feel a calling of some sort, too, to the world to say, look, Christian theology isn't all ridiculous. You can, you yeah. can, there, there are some valid things to be said here and that we want to be in the conversation. So this thing I was just doing in Washington last week was a group of scholars that were both Christians and non-Christians to say, let's talk about what it means to be human. And can we show that Christian theology has something to say in that conversation? So that's part of what Biologos is doing. But the main part of our mission really is trying to show the evidence for evolution and how that can be consistent with, with traditional Christian faith. Well, we appreciate it very much, Jim. This is good stuff. Yeah, I, li- sure. I like it when somebody's in the middle. That's the way I felt like my whole life and career has been, and, and nobody likes it. I, I mean, that's funny. I mean, I'm, I, I believe it. I bet y'all get it from both sides. <laughs> Just <laughs> not two, two, two sides on one side, not, not God enough on the other, right? Yep. Jim, before we let you go, real quick question. Life on other planets? I hope so. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> It'd be very cool. <laughs> Wouldn't think, that be awesome? I think Stephen so, Hawking says it the other way. You better hope not. Yeah, all the movies, all the aliens are out to get us all the time. But, but I mean, our understanding of creation has been one of continual expanding and seeing more and more and more. I mean, the the people writing Genesis thought we here we are in this tiny little place, and you know, we when we move to heliocentrism away from geocentrism, you say, oh man, we're just we're on a planet that's going around a star. And it's bigger, and then it's boy. Our sun is just one of all those other stars, and now it's all those other galaxies, and maybe even now it's all those other universes, right. multiverse. That I don't see any problem at all with seeing God as this lavish creator that just is throwing life all over the place out there, and and it doesn't upset my theology at all to to think that there could be intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. That's cool. So uh, what what's a good starting point for people as far as the stuff that you wrote? Someone's that, that's like, man, I, I gotta I gotta take a first step in this journey. And what what book should they read? Well, geez, I got a bookshelf right here. Is this what you call product placement in these things or something? <laughs> We just did an interesting one. So you you uh, referred to this one, which is the How I Changed My Mind About mm-hmm. Evolution that we edited. That's got 25 people's stories. So it's their own story of, look, I'm a Christian and I've come to accept this evidence for science. For some people, connecting with other people's stories is a good place to yeah. start because yeah. you can see examples of how this has worked in other people's life. And in that book, there's a whole range of people that have converted from young earth creationism to, to other. It's got scientists and pastors and people in show business and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So there's lots of people you can see. Um, this other one that just came out this summer that Biologos did is called Old Earth or Evolutionary Creation. Biologos... Reasons to Believe and Biologos Discussing Origins. So Reasons to Believe is an apologetics organization led by Hugh Ross. So they're what they call old earth creationists. So he accepts 
the, the physical science that shows the age of the earth and the universe and all of that, but they don't accept the biological science that leads to evolution. We've had very profitable discussions with these people, and it's a, it's a huge value of biologos to have gracious discussions. So we try our best. It doesn't always happen, but we try our best to not be snippy at people over the internet about things the way that these conversations often devolve into. But we spent about five years meeting with the people in this organization and came, became friends with them. And so talked about our differences, how we differ in interpreting the Bible, how we differ then with regard to the evidence for evolution and so on. And ended up writing a book that goes back and forth with one person from our organization, one person from their organization, each writing a chapter and go go through that way. So that's a good way to... Uh, to get into the discussion that we have. The other one you mentioned was my uh, textbook, Science and Christianity. So it's it's not on a Christian publisher, so it's, it's intended to be, here's a good starting point for trying to understand lots of different questions that are related to science awesome. and Christianity and surveys those and says, here are the ways that people try to answer those. So, Jim, awesome. thanks so much, man. Yeah, we really enjoyed having you on. We'll have to have you back and ask some really hard evolution questions that are going to throw you. I'd be happy to anytime. <laughs> Thanks, man. We appreciate it, Jim. All right. See ya. Okie doke. Very good. All right, guys. I'm driving to my mother-in-law, so I have to go. Y'all can finish me up episode wrap with it. me. Jim Stump, yeah. everybody. Thank you, Toby. I, no problem. I'm headed to Kansas City for a True Man event. If you, don't, if you want to know what that is, go to truemanexperience.com. Love you all. All right, Joey. That was a good uh, interview. Thank you, you and Toby, for setting that one up. I had not uh, read anything from Jim before, but I like him a whole lot. So it would be somebody good to talk to in the future. So. Yeah, you, you know it's crazy, Matt. You're gonna you're, you're really going to laugh at me as, as well as most of our listeners will. But that's uh, like what Toby asked him was what I've always wondered is why, why is there a major debate with evolution and creationism? Because... All I hear from people like you and and you know the smart science community is evolution is it's just true and well, I've always I mean I don't even just say it's just true it just kind of works and makes sense in for what it is yeah it's yeah. just not but anyway that, that to me in that way that's one of the first conversations where I've been like oh okay I didn't I mean the example that he gave as far as there being. 6,000 fossil records of something in between chimpanzees and a human being. And a Christian said mm -hmm. that I'm like, I did not know that. Like I, I interesting well, stuff, so, but man. that, but he's right about how, or, or we, way Toby and him were discussing how everybody discusses, Oh, good from both sides. Well, of course you get it from both sides. If the loudest noises are the two dominant narratives, let's look at it another way. And this is right and left and any other huge debate. the, two sides that emerge are the loudest in almost every case are always going to be called extremes. I'm not calling these people extremists or anything. I'm just saying the extremes are the things to latch onto that people feel strongly about. So if you feel super yeah. strong about the Bible and protecting it and science is bad, that will sound louder than, ah, uh, you know, somewhere in between. But the hard work is always somewhere in between. So, of course, you're going to yeah. get it from both sides. That just means that you're not extreme. You don't hold an extreme view if you're getting it from both sides. So, obviously, yeah. the thing is kind of in the middle somewhere. Or, not even, or you know, in the middle implies that there's like a, even a fundamental, like, thing we could get right here. But it, it's... 
I don't know. It just doesn't. It's it's it's. <laughs> there's plenty of in between ways to look at it that are safe, but it's way easier to demonize the other side because if you that thing he said about six thousand fossils, if you ask Ken Ham, he'll say no, that's not true. And then, and then if you're inclined to agree with him, then you're going to listen to him explain gymnastically why it isn't true. Right. Right. Which so, is, I mean, there it, you go. It, remind, it reminds me of a presidential debate. I'm like, who, right. who do I believe? They're both calling each other liars. I right. Mean, you're not, there's no way to believe if you're predisposed first to have a really strong bias toward wanting to believe one side. It doesn't matter what they're going to say in the middle. You're not going to listen to it. So you could reframe that 6,000 thing another way that somebody out there as we speak is doing that right now. Some people that are listening are saying that's not true. They actually this, and they proved that one was wasn't true and those were actually all this and that not hominids or you know there or that's been thoroughly debunked and there was some corruption on some of the i mean whatever it would be just enough to quell your conscience and go okay so i don't have to deal with that i'm back with ken ham again or vice versa (laughs) i'm i'm recognizing more and more like the uh everybody knows this as like deconstruction and for me being someone that you know, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm reasonably smart, but I don't consider myself like super intelligent or anything. So my deconstruction is every day that goes by. I'm just like, yeah, I just don't even know anything. <laughs> so for me, I'm just I'm not forming something new. I'm yeah. just saying I don't know. I thought I, I used to think I knew. Now I don't. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I don't right. know. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection, but everything else and 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 even even that. I mean, uh, who was who was I talking to? Oh, uh, Pete Enns. I mean, when I talked to him, Pastor with No Answers, I mean, he talked about when, when we're talking about ultimate reality, like there has to be room for someone to say, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in God. I mean, because that, that conversation, that aspect of the conversation needs to be welcomed because at the end of the day, as Christians, we have this presupposition that we've been brought up with, that we've been cultured by, and I still do believe, I'm not even minimizing my belief, but we're talking about ultimate reality here. I mm-hmm. mean, it's that's a, that's interesting, man. Well, I want to say thank you to the BC Club and the people that support this podcast, and uh, and I'm, it's just... The more I'm thinking about it and realizing as we've been doing this for so long now, this podcast, that we get to do it is very special, something I really want to continue to get to do. And the BC Club has has been a pretty much a one-way ticket. I mean, it's only grown since we have started it. And the BC Club is a community, and I'll call it a post-Christian community, although a lot of people wanted to call it post-evangelical was a good counterpoint um, to the discussion we had a little while ago. But in any case, the BC Club is a and this podcast itself is a post-Christian or post-evangelical community of people talking stuff out, thinking about it, dealing with it. Our Facebook group is lively and active, and those people actually contribute money to this podcast. And it's almost 2% of the listeners actually do that and are in that Are you serious? Circle. Yeah. Which wow. is high. You I, want some? I, I yeah, think 1% I think is, is what you'd want or expect on a thing like that, and we way outperform that and i just think it's because of the strength of the community and the vibrancy and the life that's in it and so congratulations to you guys i just want to say sincerely thank you this is a privilege and opportunity to continue to get to do this and that's all i got to say about it 
Yep, and uh, these people we are going to thank specifically you uh, new folks. And and uh, I've heard some chatter on the Facebook page about not hearing uh, your name. I mean, it's actually a good problem to have. We are catching up. And these folks on this show, we want to thank you. And that's Benjamin Harvey, Josh Myers, John Scott, Blake Bays, Daniel Johnson, Scott Danielson, Heath William Dills, Stephen Jones, Summer, and Angela Garvey. Thank you, guys. Yeah, right on. All right, well, let's get on out of here. All right, Matt. Well, it was good catching up, my friend. Go have fun with your father. Will do. I'll see y'all in a couple days. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.